I want to welcome Agile XRM to the podcast. I've known the people at Agile XRM for the past 12 years. I've seen how their business process management tool can add massive value to complex organizational processes in sectors such as finance and government. If you have complex processes or a need for dialogues on the Power Platform or Dynamics 365, take a look at how this BPM tool can add value. You can find them at agilexrm.com or check out the show notes for more details. Welcome to the MVP Show. My intention is that you listen to the stories of these MVP guests and are inspired to become an MVP and bring value to the world through your skills. If you have not checked it out already, I do a YouTube series called How to Become an MVP. The link is in the show notes. With that, let's get on with the show. Today's guest is from the United States. He works at I Am Josh Knox. A bit of a giveaway as who I'm speaking to. He's the CIO and Principal Dynamics Consultant. He was first awarded as MVP in 2023. He has implemented Dynamics 365 finance and operation solutions, focusing on project-related solutions for professional service companies. He is a Dynamics 365 professional, a jiu-jitsu practitioner, a so-so pickleballer, a mediocre juggler, and a pretty good paper airplane folder. You can find links to his bio and social media in the show notes for this episode. Welcome to the show, Josh. Thank you, Mark. It's wonderful to be here. Uh, yeah, just a quick correction. I'm, I'm not a CIO. I'm a CJO. I'm the chief Josh officer in my company. And also a, a late breaking news, I should say, um, you know, I, I did independent consulting under I am Josh Knox for the last uh, year and a half. And just just this last two weeks ago, I started working with a new company called Cooptimize. So now I am a a uh, a member of Cooptimize. Cooptimize is a is a collective um what is a cooperative let's co-optimize um and it's, it's a group of it's it's uh, a group of four of us working together doing uh business intelligence and uh you know other other services related to to reporting related to our dynamics experience i love it i love it so you you, you formed a co-op so you're independent business owners but co-op together is that the situation we are yeah so <laughs> the the legal entity structure which which predates me it, it's it's actually an llc but everybody who participate is sort of a a, a the, the words get technical and i'm sure joel and eric will get mad at me for using the wrong words but but essentially everyone is is paid a salary and then we do uh Profit sharing based on on how we do as a company and, and based on everyone's involvement in the cooperative. It's a really fun experiment. Um, you know, it's, it's a it's a new business model, a new way for for consultants to engage. And um, you know, it's just everybody there, everybody in the cooperative is fun to work with. And that was that was the reason that I joined up. Yeah, you got involved. I love it. I love it. Tell me a bit about. What you do when you're not doing your day job? What does life mean? You know, what part of the U.S. are you based in? Food, family, fun, all those great things that make life exciting. Ooh, food, family, and fun. I, that's Yeah, that is all the things that make life, 
life great and exciting. Uh, so I, I live in California, or at least I live in California right now. I, my wife, Luana, um, and we have uh, two boys. We have Calvin, who's four years old, and Lawrence, who's two years old. And for the last two years, we've been doing an experiment, uh, you know, within a variety of experiments of life. Uh, but Luana's from Brazil. And so last year, we spent six months in Brazil, uh, sort of living with her family, and then six months in California. And then we did it again, we, which I guess originally was just we were going to take an extended trip to Brazil. But we, we liked that trip so much that this year we repeated the experiment. Uh, and so from, from April to uh, the end of September, we were in Brazil, and, and that was home. Uh, so you talk about food, family, and fun, right? Brazilian food is, is of course, Brazilian barbecue and rice and beans every day. Uh, we have square pizza. We have all kinds of pizza abominations, really. Uh, but I <clears throat> dessert pizza. Uh, but, yeah, so I, I love Brazilian food and Brazilian culture. Obviously, as you said, I do Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Uh, and so it was great. it's great to be able to, to train jiu-jitsu there. Uh, just with a, a different group of people than I get to to train over here. So that's that's a I mean that's everything that, that drives my life outside of work is is having two two little kids right a two year old and a four year old and they're growing and just learning and growing and, and it, I love that that's that's everything um, mixed in with you know shades of Luana's family while we're in Brazil and, and shades of my family and my parents while we're here in California. Mm. Interesting. Like so many questions jump to mind. Uh, my good mate Steve Mordu uh, has moved to Brazil, and uh, with his Brazilian wife, and he seems to have been setting up shop there, and he loves it. He loves the the culture and the environment. How do you find the difference between the U.S. culture and the Brazilian culture? Uh, yeah, what what are the kind of noticeable differences, I suppose, between the two geographies? You know, when you talk about, yeah, the, <clears throat> the culture of one country versus the culture of another country, you're prone to probably generalize far too much about far too many people. But the, the biggest difference to me is just the amount of conversation, the volume of conversation. So, you know, when we're, we're at home, you know, it's, it's me and my wife and we, we talk in the evenings and I work during the day. And she, she chit chats here and there, right? When we're in Brazil, there's just always people around and there's always conversation. And my, my wife can be with her, you know, there'll be three or four different aunts in the house and, and they'll all be talking, you know, between the five of them, they'll have three different conversations going in at once. And, and I love that, right? There's just, there's so much more, <clears throat> so many more words, right? But, but all that talking is, is really an expression of, of love. Uh, right. It's, it's, it's an act of caring. And so I, that, that's a part of the culture that I, that I like a lot. Um, in some ways it, it thing, I think maybe you call it traditions or think, you know, the way things used to be in America, right. I think with, with cell phones now, right. Like if you just knock on your, your neighbor's door or just go over to a friend's house and show up unannounced, they'd be like, well, why didn't you call? Like, what, what the heck? I'm, I'm busy. Right that doesn't exist there. And so we, you know, we'd be at home and <clears throat> there'd always be a friend or, or, or an aunt would just sort of show up and say, Hey, I was just kind of around. What are you guys doing? And I, I love that. And it's funny because I think even if 
<clears throat> if someone came in the U.S. and did that, it's strange, but also it'd be welcome. I feel like there's a way that we could uh, collide with each other maybe more often and it, life would be more enjoyable. I like that, collide with each other. Tell me about uh, the differences with uh, learning jiu-jitsu in the U.S. as opposed to in Brazil. I would say that learning jiu-jitsu in the U.S., right, the, the story of jiu-jitsu in the U.S. is that there was this Brazilian family was training lots of jiu-jitsu in, in Brazil, and they sort of had these challenge tournaments where they would say, oh, our, our jiu-jitsu martial art is, is better than all the others. And right, that, that Gracie family wound up sort of being involved in, we'll say, the beginnings of the UFC. Um, so, right, Brazilian jiu-jitsu in the U.S. is Brazilian jiu-jitsu in, in Brazil. But I think in, in Brazil, there's probably a lot more, you know, people want to respect their, their lineage more maybe of, oh, this guy taught me and, and this guy taught him and right. And because you're in Brazil, you're always one or two skips away from, from a Gracie somewhere. I think in the U S there's more of a, a wrestling influence maybe in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and in the U S there's probably more of a, obviously you make generalizations, but there's probably more of a business focus on, on gyms in the U S um, because they, they are businesses and here in the U S you have to, you know, keep the lights on you have to pay insurance and, and all those things. And I think in Brazil, it, the situation, at least places I've trained is more like insurance. What's that? Um, and so that's a whole different business model that you, you have a lot of things that you don't have to worry about. Um, yeah, but obviously there's, there's very high level jujitsu in the U S and very high level jujitsu in Brazil as well. Is it all about, being in, if you're put in a situation where you need to defend yourself, as in, I've I've been to one jiu-jitsu class, <laughs> and, and and it killed me. But you know, base basically how to handle knife attack, how to handle a, a broken bottle attack, how to if if you were in a situation that required you to incapacitate the attacking party, you have the skills to do it. No, I don't. <laughs> I'll be. <clears throat> I mean, you know, jujitsu is, is a type of wrestling. It's a sport within certain parameters. Uh, and right, there is a self-defense element to it. So I am probably more prepared to handle myself in a situation where I'm being attacked than had I never done jujitsu. Um, but it, it, you know, I certainly don't want to, to go looking for a fight. I think there's a, there's a meme, right, of, of you ask guys and you say, like, well, what, what kind of animal do you think you could beat in a fight, right? You'd bite a chicken. I could probably beat a chicken. What about a pig? I, and guys are like, yeah, I could probably beat a bear, right? I, I have no illusions. I'm, I'm a terrible fighter. Uh, but to me, the jiu-jitsu is really about it, it's problem solving and, and, and leverage. And, and so to me, it's kind of, you know, how, how do you get just a little bit further around a person or, or how do you how do you flip them and, and take somebody down to, to me, the things that I like about jujitsu are that type of kinetic problem solving, uh, kind of like a, almost like a chess match of, of arms and legs. That's how I think. I like it. it. I like it. Are you going to involve your kids? If they want to be involved, if, uh, Calvin's four, he's, he's been to a class or two, um, you know, and when you're four, a jujitsu class is really just running around in your pajamas. It's, 
similar to a gymnastics class probably. But, uh, you know, if, if, if it's something that they like, uh, then you know, I, I hope they, they do it and I'll give them an opportunity to do it. But it, I, I see childhood as, as an opportunity to expose your kids to a lot of different things, but, but they have to choose what it is that they really like or, or enjoy doing. I like it. I like it. Okay. Tell us about, you know, you've done a lot of work around advising young folks that are your folks that have joined the ERP consulting um, community. Um, tell us a bit about that. You wrote a series around advice to young ERP consultants and you've had feedback. Tell us about that. When I was working um, in a large organization with, with lots of other consultants, it, it occurred to me that the bottleneck within the industry, it really felt like the bottleneck was just, we always needed more people to do the job. It was always, how do we get more consult? You know, we, we've won all this work. All these people want to implement uh, the ERP, but we just need more capable people to do the work. And that, that had me thinking for a long time, where do ERP consultants come from? Uh, my own path was, uh, a little bit different, and I, I think the, the path of lots of consultants is, is a little bit different. But I, I graduated college with a degree in economics. Uh, then I worked in logistics for for a couple of years, and that company didn't wind up doing well. And then I started a, a technology advertising company with a friend of mine in California, and that didn't do too well. Uh, and so I had these these failures that had shown me lots of different parts of business, and I was trying to figure out what to do or, or, you know, beyond this, this tech advertising company that I was working with. And a friend of mine said, you know, asked me the types of things that I was doing. And I explained all these things I was doing in Excel. And he goes, Oh, that's kind of like an ERP for your company. And I said, Oh, what's an ERP? And he says, Oh, an ERP is what I do. I'm an ERP implementer. He says, maybe you should try and be an ERP implementer. I think you'd be good at this. Uh, and he was very right. So Saul Gomez, if you're out there listening to this, Thank you for for changing my life and sort of moving me from just just a job into what I really see as as a vocation. Um, and I think part of what makes me good at at consulting at, at being an ERP consultant is it's that collection of of lots of different types of experiences that that gave me this you know, this unique set of both soft skills and hard skills. And so, so where do the, the future ERP consultants come? Because not everyone's going to come from this crooked path, um, right? Obviously, say, you know, we could hire ERP consultants straight out of college, you know, find, find new kids that are smart, train them up, and then they'll be able to go through the world. Or you have people that are <clears throat> maybe already work with the ERP, and then they're switching. Um, and that's almost like, the table stakes of how do you get people in the door that are excited about the industry. Um, but then one of the frustrations that I had as an ERP consultant was, well, how do I get better at this thing that I'm doing? Um, I was very fortunate that within my first year, uh, I had just really incredible mentorship. Uh, so Joel Lecti, uh, who is now my, my coworker, co co-member, Worker owner, whatever you call it, at Co-Optimize, our our cooperative. Uh, you know, he really just 
set me up for success by showing me, oh, these are the things you need to do. These are the things you need to avoid, right? This is, you know, this is what listening looks like, right? This is what good questions look like. This is how we move the project forward, right? And he was just so masterful at, at teaching me a lot of those things. Um, and then as, as Joel sort of ascended the ranks into to more of other management and director roles and was no longer able to, to consult me directly, I, I always felt like, well, you know, wh where am I or how am I getting better at, at what I'm doing? <clears throat> and I felt like I didn't have a lot of guideposts or, or a lot of, you know, indications of, oh, yeah, move, move in this direction or move in that direction. Um, and it was about that time, right? So I guess in 2020 is, is when I took your your 90 day challenge. Um, and that was, that was great because that showed me, you know, oh yeah, the, the things that you're thinking, these are good ways to, good directions to, to move in, right? Both in, you know, this is how you improve on soft skills. This is how you improve on, on hard skills. It was kind of nice that I could sort of build, building a roadmap there. <clears throat> but anyways, so this is a, a problem that I've thought about a lot. And then I, uh, last year, I started doing a lot of independent writing. And one of the independent writing exercises that I did was just about you know, advice to a young ERP consultant. That's what I called it. Or, or trying to, to think of the things, right? You know, you're, you're brand new. You're now an ERP consultant because you have that title, but, but you don't know a whole lot. You're not, uh, you know, how, how do you, so how, how do you get to a place where you, you know things or what, what are the things that you should do or should look out for uh, to get better at the, we'll call it the, the art, right, of, of ERP consulting? Um, so it's a 10-part it's a series. We can link to it here in the show notes. Uh, but, but, you know, simple things, right? Like just, just taking notes, I think, is, is a place where you know, let's say you're, you're brand new, you're in your first week of ERP consulting. Uh, you know, you literally know nothing about what you're supposed to do, but you're being presented as, as an expert. You know, I think taking notes is, is valuable because one, you're providing, you know, you're on this meeting, you're sort of providing value to the group. You can be the one that sends the notes and then every, you know, on the customer side, they say, oh, great. He sends the notes. Yeah, he knows, he knows what's going on. But then two, you get to review your own notes and you say, oh, I don't understand this point. What was that? Right. And all the you know, it's Donald Rumsfeld, right? The unknown unknowns. You get to say, oh, this is the thing that I didn't know. And now I know that I didn't know that. And so I can figure out, <clears throat> chase down that. So I had, you know, it's, it's 10 things, but it's sort of about how do you build that initial knowledge or, and how do you, how do you make a, a space for yourself, both kind of as, as a consultant, and then how do you sort of get known within your organization and, and things like that? I like it. I like it. The, the practical nature of it, right? Something like taking notes that shows that you're one, you're, you're actively listening. And then I love the fact that if you're the one that sends it out, you've now created these connections with all these people that is building trust in your ability to execute right from the get go. And it's something so subtle. Yeah. Oh, very good. Very good. Tell us, tell me about other kind of soft skills that new consultants need to have? And also, where does industry verticalization come into play? Like, if you look at the, you know, if you look at ERP, ERP covers a massive spectrum, right, of industries and and 
um, no one ERP is the same as another. You know, then then you're you're seeing these days organizations wanting to move away from their their really tailored processes to what are standard ways of doing these, what are these practices, rather than the 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 hodgepodge it might have developed over time as the business evolved. I'm seeing this move to go to in the ERP side to go actually let's standardize on what does best practice looks rather than just the way we do it. If the way we're doing it is not really adding um, material advantage to the business, how do you, you know, so where does industry come in? Where does, where does focus from the tech stack? You know, there's so many uh, parts now in, in ERP. There's so many focus areas. How does a new consultant really develop their tech skills, but also their industry skills and also their, um, uh, what a better term, soft skills, their skills of human interaction, of building trust, of constantly learning, um, of of confidence in in their position on a project. Ooh, fantastic series of questions, right? Uh, to take soft skills, it, I think it's in some ways it's it's hard to develop soft skills because <clears throat> some of soft skills is just who you are um you know you developing soft skills is is polishing those edges but right i'm i'm an an active attentive listener in my marriage and that translates i am also an a, a, a active attentive listener right professionally um and and i i think it'd be hard for me to have you know, fantastic soft skills professionally and then terrible soft skills in my, my personal life. So I, I think that's, that's probably just a part of us. It's all growing and evolving as, as human beings, right? It's just getting better, better soft skills. Mm. One thing that's, that's interesting within that is, is and thing, a, a thing I always struggled with is, is getting feedback on your soft skills. And I don't know if you, you have any suggestions there, but that's a thing because, you know, I might have a meeting and think I did a great meeting and I sent out my notes and, and everybody's happy and I feel like we all, you know, did a great thing. And, and maybe I even moved the project along a great deal. But if the customer's on the other side and they didn't walk away with that same impression, right, some, you know, something's breaking down there, but it's... uh it's hard to get that feedback from the other side. And I don't, I don't have a solution for that. I'm just raising that. <laughs> do you, have, have you had thoughts on that, Mark, about even, you know, how do you, how do you really know that you're succeeding at your soft skills, right? Yeah. <laughs> if you've got a wing person right in the room that, that is a trusted, maybe more seasoned, you've got that ability to go back or, and also then op- open-ended questions. Is there anything I missed, you know, in those notes or that follow-up? Is there anything I missed do you think we're aligned? You know, answering those questions that are not, you know, that really elicit them coming back and feeling that they are contributing again and perhaps highlighting blind spots. But yeah. Meta meta soft skills, right? The soft skills for the soft skills. Um, right. So that's, it's a great question, right? And right. There's a whole industry of self-help books around that. Um, but it's something that I'm, I'm interested in general. Now the, the verticalization, right. And the, how do we, right. Every, 
and not every partner, but lots of partners are trying to say, right, I just do, you know, this type of thing. And, and some partners are having a lot of success with that, right? And I, I come from, uh, right, the, the first company that I worked with, they said, we are just, we, we basically just do professional services. Uh, and then even within professional services, they started to drill down and say, we, we just do, you know, this segment of, of professional services. And they, they've had a lot of success doing that. Um, and so I, I think everyone's doing it probably for, for two reasons, right? One is you say, oh, if we can just do the same type of implementation over and over, we're going to get better at that, just like you would, you know, working on the assembly line. And, and also, of course, as you drill down and you say, this is our niche, other partners are going to say, oh, okay, well, I guess that's your niche. I don't want to compete with you in that niche. I'm going to build, build this as my niche. Um, so it's, it, it's a good business strategy. <clears throat> And then as a consultant, right, you're coming into this and, 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 you know, if you start working for any of these, these implementation partners, part of your job is just to become an expert in, in the industry in general and then understand the, the specific problems that customers in your industry have, right, with, uh, ERP or with reporting or with, with their, their financial closes, right? Everyone had, you know, what did Tolstoy say, right? You know, happy families are all the same and no. Yeah. And unhappy families are all unhappy in their own ways. Uh, but right. You'll, you'll have trends within, within each niche. Um, so I, I think as a general point, uh, it, it probably helps to become an industry expert, maybe even before you are a, you know, a specific ERP expert. Uh, but maybe it's a chicken and egg problem. I don't know. Uh, as a consultant, though, I think it's really important for you not to just have expertise, let's say, within your industry, but really you need granular expertise and I, I, uh, you know, within some specific facet of, of your ERP. Uh, take, you know, if I take finance and operations as an example, you know, uh, maybe you get really good at just like the, the Excel connector or data migration or you know, the, the collections suite, right? These are things that are, are much more specific than saying, oh, I do all of AR, you know, you know, the ins and outs and the things that can break of this, you know, this very specific feature. Um, and I, I see that as, as incredible value add because not just because, right, you, you build expertise in that thing, um, which is helpful to your customers, but you can become known inside your organization as I am the expert on, uh, you know, financial reporting or, or whatever that thing might be, it, it can be very valuable to, to sort of become a, a, a beacon of light around some given topic. And, and as other people say, oh, I have a problem with that. And they might say, oh, you know, Josh, Josh knows about that. Mark knows about that. That can become very helpful. And so, uh, yeah, so it's not just about industry specific knowledge, but it's about knowledge within your specific product. Uh, you know, I was uh, really surprised and, and, and honored to be selected as a, as an MVP this year. Uh, but in a lot of ways, I really do still feel like a fraud, you know, because I, I, I'm a finance and operations, uh, functional consultant, but you know, I've never done trade and logistics stuff. I've, I've, you know, only done a limited amount of, of, let's say, manufacturing stuff. All of my stuff has been within finance, and all of my finance stuff is really focused on on AR and AP and data migration efforts. And you know, there just there are sort of just 
distinct places where I have a lot of deep knowledge. Um, and there's just, there's so much, right? No one, it, it, it's too big for any one person to be the expert in everything. Hey, thanks for listening. I'm your host, business application MVP, Mark Smith, otherwise known as the NZ365 guy. If you like the show and want to be a supporter, check out buymeacoffee.com forward slash NZ365 guy. Thanks again and see you next time.